Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. All right, episode 31 of the Leaning into Leadership podcast titled Funky Flamingo Friday with Dave Schmidow. If you've seen the digital promo ads for this episode, then you've seen the funky flamingo shirt that Dave was wearing on the Friday that we recorded it. Dave and I had an incredible conversation. Uh, Dave is somebody that I've gotten to know pretty well over the last couple of years and truly appreciate him. I respect him greatly as a leader. And he and I have followed some similar paths, and we had a great conversation about that. I'm excited to share that with you this week on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. But before we go there, let's talk real quick about an announcement from Road to Awesome. We are pleased to announce at Road to Awesome that we have launched two brand new courses as part of our results coaching work. This partnership with Dr. Brandon Beck has resulted in tremendous success for every one of our clients. Now we've taken it to the next level. And that next level is the Road to Awesome courses. Unlocking Unlimited Potential on the Road to Awesome's first course, Accelerating Goals into Action. Accelerating Goals into Action is a free course that helps us discover exactly what it means to unlock unlimited potential on the Road to Awesome. During this course, you have an opportunity to meet with Darren and Brandon while learning how to plan for consistent success, beginning with identifying just that one thing. Find your way to accelerating goals into action, crush through that course, and then jump into our second course. This paid course, which is a four-part course titled Open Road Accelerate, was designed to guide you toward consistent success. In this course, you'll embark upon an interactive experience with Darren and Brandon, and we will walk you through step-by-step your results coaching journey and the best part at the end of this course you get a free live coaching event with brandon and with me check out the courses now you can find them at road to awesome.net backslash uup on the rta or hit the hyperlink that is in the show notes folks these two courses are incredible they will get you moving forward and help you to crush your goals Brandon and I are super proud of them. We really want you to check those out. Now, let's get to this conversation with Dave Schmidow. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did, and I will see you on the other side. All right. Hey, Dave, thanks so much for joining me on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Been looking forward to this conversation. Um, my viewers can't see you, but I mean, you look great there in your in your Hawaiian shirt. Um, I know you're just enjoying, as you put it, the palm trees and the dolphins in your yard or in your, in your area. So, uh, Again, welcome. Um, how you doing today, man? Uh, I'm doing great. Yeah, you you got it, man. My my outfits normally try to capture how I'm feeling for the day. So today it's bright pink flamingos, a beach belly hat. I mean, I'm I'm a, a country beach bum and uh, love it. Life, palm trees, dolphins, flamingos, sunshine, rain showers. I, I I'm trying my best to capture it all and smile through it, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's really difficult. Uh, although I was in Florida this week and it was so hot and humid. Man, it was crazy. Uh, lots of rain too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, sometimes though, I'm a runner, so I can get outside and go for a run and I can count it as a swim as well, just because it's so humid. So yeah, I there can double go. dip. Yeah. So does your Apple Watch record both workouts? Is that how that works? Or, uh, unfortunately, uh, no, but I, I do most of my journaling after my workout, so I can call it whatever I want to call it and let Garmin go. and Apple fight over what the analytics tell them. There you go. Absolutely. That's awesome. So uh, I have a feeling most of my listeners know who, who Dave Schmidow is, but just really quick elevator, tell them who you are, what you're all about, that kind of stuff, and then we'll dive in. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. First of all, if most of your listeners know who I am, then they know me better than I do because I'm still trying to figure out who I am. So kudos to you listeners if you if you know who I am. By title, uh, by designation, I am Dave Schmidow. I now call Florida home. Spent better part of 20 years of my career up in Michigan where I really had all the jobs professionally. I was a 
a classroom teacher, assistant principal, athletic director, middle school principal, elementary principal, assistant superintendent, college professor. Um, a couple of years ago, though, realized that I was constantly looking for doors to be open and was constantly looking for greener grass and was constantly moving on to the next thing and just wanted to slow down a little bit. So uh, took my my family of six now live on the beach in Florida. I coach consults, um, work with schools, districts around the country, get to hang out with amazing people like you and just uh, really trying to embrace loving life and not looking for the next best thing. You know, I think it's really interesting that that you said that there. Um, I, I had a conversation just the other day with some folks that were asking me about, you know, my transition out of my superintendency into what I'm doing now. And one of the things that just kept coming up and what I kept sharing with them was just simply quality of life. Mm. And, you know, we're seeing it across the country, you know, people stepping out of something they've been doing for a long time. But, but I like how you said that about just kind of slowing things down a little. It doesn't necessarily mean, and I, I know from following you and, and from knowing you like I do, it's not like you're not doing anything. You're still, you're still going hard. You're just not maybe in one building or in one district or bouncing back and forth between your your position it was it was central michigan right am i am i yeah. correct on the university yep. okay i thought yeah. so. i thought it was it was cmu so yeah let's let's just chase this for a second um yeah just the whole concept of slowing it down or you know stepping into a new or a different arena right um, just just run with that i don't even know what question i want to ask you yeah no you're, you're fine i've got thoughts on it. So if any of these thoughts trigger a question, feel free to jump in and just cut me off. But yeah, when I, when I say slow it down, it, it you're right, it's not like my life has slowed down. But my headspace has slowed down, right? Because I was so focused for so long for 22, 23 years of my career of making sure that I was doing all the things on the outside to impress somebody to offer me another thing, right? I was constantly chasing the external affirmations. I was chasing the the state awards, the national awards, the the keynotes, the spotlights, all of those things. And that's what I was craving. And I made sure that on the outside, everything was polished. Everything was as nice as it could be. But on the inside, I was struggling. I mean, it, you, you mentioned my, my role at Central Michigan when I was a, a college professor. That was, that was an amazing job. It was my alma mater. That's where I went and got my, my bachelor's degree. That's what sent me up to Michigan uh, to begin with, what, close to 30 years ago now. And then I finally got a job as a full professor of educational leadership doing the thing I loved, doing research and scholarship and teaching future leaders. And it's it does. It sounds like the dream job. However, embedded within that, so much politics, because when you're in a college professor position, your job is dependent on your colleagues, your peers voting on whether or not they like you every single year. And that's truly what it comes down to. Every single year, you go to a meeting, you have to plead your case, they kick you out of the meeting, and then 11 other people sit around and say yay or nay. And you simply you're trying to get the majority of people to say yes, we want to keep working with him. Which it I mean, it's in most cases, it's a slam dunk. But for somebody like me, who for so long was so chasing everybody's opinion, I mean, that can wreak havoc on you where every decision you make isn't, is this best for me? Am I going to learn from this? Am I going to grow from this? Is it best for my students? It's how is it going to be presented to the outside so that other people will continue to vote for me, that they'll continue to like me, so that they'll continue to support me. And eventually just had to shift focus and say, that's not what's important. I need to get to the place where I can wear funky flamingos on a Friday, where I can embrace who I am and say, let's just do this thing. And not, so now, yeah, I, I travel a lot. I have got 100,000 sky miles this year. I mean, I'm constantly going from city to city. I'm grinding. I'm hustling. But I'm doing the stuff that I want to do because I want to do it, not because it's going to look good on, on the outside. It's, it's all about growing me and embracing my priorities, which right now, it's my family. It's something that should have been for the last 25 years but I'm finally putting my money where my mouth is. I, I think that's fantastic. And you know, you said something in there, you said a bunch of things that I really, really loved and really connected with me. But when you described 
that process of essentially keeping your job, if you will, with 11 people voting on you, it immediately took me to, well, the entire tenure I had, but really the last two years of right. my superintendency. You know, I mean, it, it's it's very much a kind of, kind of a, you know, a parallel there when 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 you're reliant upon people who you may or may not see eye to eye on uh, on on with different things, especially when, when we're talking about education, and not not every not every educator is you know well every educator is not perfect. Let me say it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, none of us is perfect. However, every educator I believe is truly trying to do the best for kids, and when when you get to be you know the the part in in our life, oh hell, I'll just say it. As old as you and I, um, <laughs> you've you know you've done things for for a considerable amount of time. I was in public ed for twenty six years, yeah, and you know reached that point where, similar to you, I, I started feeling like I was doing things to keep my board happy when the mm-hmm. things I was doing were not what was best for kids, yeah. or that I didn't agree with the position of my board. And, and that's not to say my board was right or wrong or it has nothing to do with that, but it, it's, I guess our friend Jillian would say it's about us chasing our joy. Right. And, and finding the things that, you know, lift us up and, and, you know, make us happy. I love that you talked about, you know, spending that time with your family you know, we, we made, we made a move to Omaha, Nebraska simply because of quality of life. Also considering the quality of life for our dogs, believe it or not. I mean, we really even were thinking that through. So um, I just, I, I, I knew yeah. when, when we chased slow things down, this would go who knows where. And, and I've proven myself correct. But, you know, I, I, I want to clarify something for, for me real quick, because you said something and it, it illuminated something that, that I know I said, and maybe, maybe I said it incorrectly, or maybe I just need to clarify. I'm not simply chasing happiness. So I want to be very clear about that. I'm not always just simply chasing joy. There are some things that I do that I hate doing. There are some things that I do that are hard. There are nights when I'm crying, I'm sitting in hotels or airports alone, and I I don't like that. But what I'm able to do now is I'm able to focus on the things that I think are important. And importance and happiness don't always go hand in hand. So um, it, it would be great if every single day, all day, I could just sit on the beach with a fun little umbrella drink in my hand, watching the dolphins jump and play. But there are times when I've got to do work that is exhausting, but it's work that I get to choose to say, yes, this is the right work. This is the important work. You know, I, I, I think you've been a part of conversations before where I've made the statement that in education, we're all middle managers. We all have a job where we're reporting to somebody. And we also have other people that that we serve and we support. No matter your role, whether you're superintendent, school board member, politician, classroom teacher, we're all a middle manager. And I think at times we forget that. And that was that was my my biggest issue is I oftentimes looked up at the people that were signing my paycheck as opposed to down. And I hate that metaphor and that analogy, but I think you know what I mean. Right. It's the people that I was supposed to serve and support. And when you're constantly looking up at the people with the fancier shoes and the nicer suits, sometimes you can lose track of your importance and your purpose because you're more worried about the paycheck or the prestige. And that's where I was. So yeah, I I am much happier now though, because I know I'm living within my purpose, but I can't always just say yes to the things I want to do and no to the things that are frustrating. Right. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. I love that. I think, um, and we can, we can make this entire episode just simply about this. Uh, we, we really could, um, I think I think there's a lot to be said there for uh, I want to go back to what you said, you know, importance and happiness don't always go hand in hand. Mm. Uh, I think I think a lot of leaders will lose sight of that and not necessarily the happiness side of it, but maybe that let's just stay on what's important. You know, we're, we're at a time, at least when we're hitting record on this, when a lot of school leaders now, you know, they've had their very brief, you know, take the off ramp you know, catch your breath. And now they're, they're climbing back onto the, onto the freeway that is their school year and probably could easily be losing sight of what's important versus Mm -hmm. maybe what's pushing on them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you were a school leader for a long time. You did it in quite a few different roles, as you, as you said earlier, when, when you're at this point in, in the summer 
and maybe your teachers come back in two weeks or maybe your teachers come back in in three weeks or or what have you what advice do you have for for leaders or or maybe go either either direction with this dave either what advice do you have or what were some maybe some traps you fell into that kept you from focusing on what's important versus always just what's pressing on you yeah great great questions i think so I'm, I, I've never been one to really censor myself. And I say some things at times that upset people and frustrate people. And if, if what I'm about to say frustrates people, awesome. I encourage the conversation and the dialogue. I don't present to have all of the answers. I have an opinion. So what I'm about to share is, is my opinion. So for leaders by title who are getting ready to engage and work with, with teachers or paraprofessionals or other stakeholders, um, you know, for the last few years, we've heard and we've seen the statistics about the this astronomical numbers of people that are leaving the profession of, of education and in all roles. And there are some people that make the claim that teachers are leaving because of the pay, that teachers are leaving because of the hours they have to work. There might be a couple of people that that applies to, but that is not the reality of it. When we dive in, we actually study what's going on. Because I started teaching 25 years ago, and back then, I got paid garbage. Back then, I was expected to work ridiculous hours. What has shifted over the last few years is people have now been able to, to start to explore other opportunities that pay them the exact same amount. People aren't leaving to get jobs that are paying them more. They're going and they're finding jobs that allow them to lean into their purpose and their priorities, similar to what you and I have done. I mean, we made the same shift that everybody else is making right now. What's happened a lot in yeah. schools for the last few years is we've had leaders that are shifting their priorities and they're looking for those shortcuts. They're looking for those quick returns, those quick investments of how can I spike a score for a year? How can I force my teachers to follow a script? How can I, the biggest trap I used to fall into was trying to create itty bitty schmitties, trying to make teachers do things the same way that I did them because obviously it worked for me to work for them. We've got administrators that are trying to do the same thing for their teachers. And trying to say, just follow the script, just do things the way that that I did them or the way that the people above me are telling you to do them. And teachers are starting to feel like they don't have value. They're starting to feel like they're being replaced by programs, that they're being replaced by worksheets, that they don't have any autonomy. When we know that teacher self-efficacy is the number one factor of student success, we dismiss that, we ignore that, and we begin to believe that there are quick fix approaches that are going to drive student achievement and student performance. And as a result, teachers are saying, you don't think I'm valuable. You don't think I'm important. Good luck without me. I'm going to go find something that I can do that is valuable, that is important. And again, it's not about the money because there are people leaving for consultancies, working for ed tech startups, doing a whole lot of other things that are paying the same amount of money. So it's administrators, leaders, remember that your teachers, your educators, look for the same thing that students do relevance just like we tell our teachers to, to tell our students students need to know why they're they need to know something teachers need to know why they're doing something if your initiatives have shifted if your priorities have shifted if your strategic goals have shifted you better have a good explanation as to why the why matters more to teachers than the how or the what so quit telling them what to do and start explaining why they need to do it yeah, one of the most important things I think for leaders and maybe one of the biggest challenges, especially early career leaders, and I want to get into the the leadership pipeline here in a second that, that made me think about that a little bit. But I think a lot of uh, early career leaders, I know I fell into this as, as a building principle, you know, we, we might have several initiatives going at once and it becomes a, you know, we need to do this. You know, we we need to really work on cooperative learning. That was, you know, that was the big thing, you know, however many years ago. You know, we're, we're all going to use these particular strategies. And to, to the extent where teachers, I, I actually had several teachers who their learning targets were the strategies they were using. It's like, no, you're not teaching think, pair, share. You're teaching geology or whatever. But I think a lot of early career leaders fall into exactly what you're talking about, where they feel like they have to chase a score. They have to chase a graduation rate or they have to chase an attendance rate or whatever the case may be. And I'm curious, I, I know what made me feel that way. Um, I worked for three different superintendents. They all had a different approach. Um, one of them was, hey, go run your building. I got you. You know, another was, 
somewhere in between, and then one who was all about compliance. And when we get into compliance, when, when we get to where it's just, you know, do what you're told or else, nobody obviously is going to be creative. I'm curious, what what did you experience from, from your colleagues and the work you're doing, doing now and, and even in the last few years that you think might be some of the drivers behind, I got to chase this score, I got to chase this piece of data and to heck with the autonomy for my teachers. Well, first of all, I, I've had the opportunity to work with amazing leaders in, a, in great schools with awesome people. Um, I've worked with people that I truly believe all had the, the best intentions and the right motivations. However, I think over the last 10 to 15 years, we've, we've changed some things. So I was a teacher. You, you talk about how old we are. I was a teacher before No Child Left Behind. So I remember the quote unquote good old days of Iowa basic skills tests that didn't necessarily matter for anything, right? Where kids just filled out their Scantrons, teachers did the, and who knew what happened to those results? I, I have no idea. But then we entered the age of No Child Left Behind and then ESSA and a whole lot of other accountability measures. And those things were put into place, not because anybody thought teachers were doing bad work, not because people thought administrators were doing bad work. Those things were brought in because people wanted what they perceived to be a more realistic picture of reality. Because for a long time, we were telling the world that everybody was great, everybody was doing just fine, that at the, the playing field was being leveled, um, we were doing the, the right work to help engage the next generation for our economy. And then in the 80s and 90s, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal started uh, broadcasting PISA results to the world and letting us know that America was falling somewhere in the 20s in reading skills and mathematics skills compared to nations around the world, that we are behind the Philippines, we are behind Japan, we are behind Finland. So people said, oh, we got to fix that. What they weren't reporting is that in America, for the last 75 years, every single year, America has led the world in copyrights and trademarks. No, people didn't focus on the fact that we were inventors and creatives. Instead, they said, our students aren't doing as well on rote memorization and test taking. So we need to shift the focus. So they started creating tests so we could benchmark and measure where our students were. If we were simply doing that and offering feedback to teachers and feedback to administrators and saying, hey, here's how your students are scoring. Let's change and adjust. Maybe things would have been different, but that wasn't good enough. So then we added accountability measures to the assessments to make sure that the assessments were valid or reliable. But as we know, that doesn't necessarily do anything to increase validity and reliability. It just simply changed perception. So then we got to this point where jobs were now in the balance. If scores didn't hit a certain benchmark, and because in education, we, we know that we teach for generations, but the scores are being measured every single summer, we started feeling like this pinch. We can no longer prepare generation because now i got to focus on scores next year, or my job is going to be on the line. So we started looking for fast approaches, the quickest approaches, which meant administrators were feeling the same pressures that teachers were. And administrators said, my job is to support you. So I'm simply going to tell you what to do. And if you simply follow the script, you'll find success. And we that happened over the last 10 to 15 years until eventually we found ourselves in this place where all roads converged and people realized that's not the answer. I don't know what the answer is. So I'm just going to leave and go somewhere else where I can support the vision of what learning is supposed to look like and just continue to, to help support kids in the next generation in, a, in, in an environment where I'm not feeling all of those pressures and I can truly focus on my, my priorities and the things that I think matter most. So I think that's what's happened to a lot of us. That's what happened to me is I, I entered into situations where I was considered a turnaround principal. My job was to come in and turn around the school. I was When I was interviewed for jobs, I was told to present my 90-day plan because Apparently, I'm in 90 days, I'm supposed to know exactly what every single move I'm going to make, every single conversation I'm going to have, every initiative I'm going to have, as opposed to spending 90 days just getting to know people and connecting and learning the needs. I'm supposed to, before I even, before I even step foot in the school, have a 90-day plan created and presented. That's ridiculous. But we ask teachers to do the same thing. When we're interviewing teachers, we say, come up with a lesson plan, and you're going to do a mock lesson for a, a room full of adults and show us how you would teach when they have no idea who those those people are, who the kids are. But yet at the same time, we tell them relationships matter. Focus on relationships, but at the same time, by God, your scores better increase. We create these impossible paradigms that don't make sense. That's the struggle. And that's the epiphany that I started to have over the last few years is 
I was guilty of the same things that were frustrating me. So now let's make a shift and truly help support people in identifying purpose and passion behind what they do. Well, I think purpose and passion hit hit at home. Thanks, thanks so much for for all of that too. That that was amazing stuff right there. I didn't even write anything down. You just totally drew me into <laughs> into that. Um, so I'll have to I'll have to listen to it a second time and make sure I take some notes. But um, I think I think when we get to focusing on purpose and focusing on passion, you know, you mentioned that's something that you and I are both doing. I mean, I'm, I'm all about supporting principles. I'm all about helping people build positive culture, but building positive climate in their school, because I believe without that, it, anything you just said is completely irrelevant. If we don't have a culture where people feel like they're seen, they're heard, they're loved, they're valued, like they can make a difference. It loops back to something you said when we started this train of thought of, you know, our teachers, no longer being valued or feeling like they're not valued because administrators are saying do this, you know, or follow this script or, you know, teach this lesson out of a box. But you and I both know that learning, learning doesn't come out of a box. Culture doesn't come out of a box. Leadership doesn't come out of a box. So how do we, you and I are both doing this work. Let's just, let's just riff on this a little bit. How do we get leaders, these great leaders, because I work with amazing leaders too. Yeah. How do we help them and and spread that so that leaders now are empowered to let their teachers teach so students can learn to chase those that purpose, to chase their passions? What what are a couple of suggestions you have for leaders? Right. So it, it, you know it's leadership is hard. Let me put that put that out there. Leadership is extremely hard. What we do, they do. What, however we present ourselves is exactly how others are going to present themselves. As a father of four kids, I see that every single day when my kids start doing the same stuff that, that I do that drives everybody crazy, they start to do, right? They argue. They don't take no for an answer. They, they are little versions of me, and it scares the living beep out of me. But I also know the same thing is true in schools. Leaders, if you're a totalitarian leader and you're constantly giving the script, don't be surprised if that's exactly what teachers are doing to students is giving the script and saying toe the line and bubbles in mouth, hands behind your back, stay on the right, raise your hand when you're spoken to all of those things, if that's how you're leading. So the first thing I would say leaders is model what you expect to be seen, which means if you want teachers greeting students at the door, you better be greeting teachers in the parking lot. If you expect expectations and standards to be written on the board and teaching to standards and excellence, then every time you have a meeting, there better be a standard or a purpose behind it, not just an agenda that follows. You've got to be who you want others to be. I mean, that's that's number one. But number two, I would also challenge to say that it's it's not the job of a leader to just sit back and let teachers teach. It's the responsibility of leaders to help guide and facilitate, but not command and dictate. You know, this idea of collective teacher efficacy, that's like the big thing that I, I am preaching at nauseum right now, collective teacher efficacy. I think people have misinterpreted that and they've turned it into, and they've bastardized words and they've said, it's the same thing as fidelity, which is another F word that we can't use in schools now. Fidelity, collective efficacy does not mean everybody doing things the same way, the same day at the same time, following a pacing guide and following the script. So for example, four kids, my 16 year old right now is growing into a, an amazing young man. He is gaining self-efficacy. Self-efficacy means he's starting to be able to take care of himself, make decisions for himself, that he is able to rely on himself. He's able to, to be efficacious for self. Collective efficacy means that we are now collectively able to do things together. We are able to make decisions that we all agree on. We're able to make decisions that we can grow on. The research tells us that not teacher autonomy, that's not the answer, it's collective teacher efficacy, which means teachers being able to decide on what's important, teachers being able to decide on values, teachers being able to drive, and you as the leader facilitating those conversations, those taboo conversations that we oftentimes try to avoid, trying to get people to rally around what our values are, our purpose, and our vision. Not making sure they're all doing things the same way because you've scripted it or somebody above you scripted it, but allowing them to weigh in and make the decisions that matter most. Championing it, cheerleading it, and uh, encouraging that constant reflection, recognizing the decisions we made yesterday don't necessarily drive and uh, mandate the decisions we make tomorrow. It's okay to change our minds. 
I love that. You know, when, when I work with school leaders, district leaders now, we we begin right away with what really matters to you. What is it that you value? Mm-hmm. What is it that's important to your organization? And are you then living that out? You know, how do you live those values out loud so that everybody is clear? Um, I, I worked with one particular school this year in that, that, I, that I have right at the top of my head where having this conversation, I turned and, and just asked the principal very bluntly, when I go out and ask students and I go out and ask staff the same question of, about you, are they going to say the same thing? Or are they at least going to hit somewhere in the ballpark? Are they going to be completely different? You know, we, we, we tend to, we tend to see the values of the leaders come out in schools, just like you're talking about, you know, what you model in your home. It's, it's, it's going to trickle down and you're going to see it in your kids. The same thing is true in our schools. You know, when, when our leaders are strong leaders and they're very clear about their values, it becomes very clear in the school, what's important in the school. Obviously the, the converse is true. Uh, is true as well. I think that's um, I think that's just such critical work for leaders to to dive deeply into. But you put an interesting twist on that, and I think it's really important the collective teacher efficacy, where what what you're really emphasizing correctly so is that those values, like when 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 I'm asking when I'm asking school leaders, you know what matters to you. That's great, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that should be what matters to the school. You've got to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Now, let's take it a step further, Dave. Um, I think I'm, I'm fair in taking this step, but if I'm not, just tell me. Just just tell me now sure. during your way off base. But would it be fair to say that the exact same thing should be happening in classrooms where our teachers mm-hmm. should be asking our students what matters to you? I mean, student efficacy is huge. Student voice, student choice. We can, we can put a hundred different spins on that but are are we safe to make that leap oh such a such a great question and such an important question so you're first of all you're not way off base so let me let me set the stage here um in education we've those of us that have been around the block for a little bit have seen the pendulum swing right we know that what goes out of fashion soon comes into fashion one of the reasons that happens is because we are so good at throwing the baby out with the bathwater we chase the next the next best thing and we forget about everything else that worked and everything else that was amazing. One of the examples is what you're describing right now, which is this idea of student voice and choice. What tends to happen is people say students need to have a voice in what they learn. They need to have a choice in what they learn, which means that the standards don't apply anymore because the standards are dictated from somebody else. And if a kid doesn't have a passion in learning that, then it doesn't, doesn't matter because I'm all about just exploring what the kids want to learn which is what we did in the 80s when everybody was learning dinosaurs and volcanoes, right? That is that is not the reality. The reality is students do need to have voice and choice. Students do need to be, uh, they, they do need to have the opportunity to buy in to, to the process. They need to be able to buy into education. They need to have the relevancy. They need to have the, they need to understand all of those components. Yes, it's all true, but it can be an and, not an or, right? Yes, students do need to have a voice in what's happening in their classroom. Yes, students do need to have choice. You know, B.J. Fogg tells us, B.J. Fogg, if people don't know who he is, a great researcher out of Stanford, describes this. And he has this, this amazing um, thematic framework that he describes that tells us that we all learn when our abilities and our motivations reach a critical juncture. That if, if our abilities and our motivations don't, don't intersect, that we're not going to learn, we're not going to grow, we're not going to excel. What we tend to do in education, though, is we tend to discount abilities and we start to look for deficits. We discount motivations and we start to look for rewards. And we start to say, we're going to try to hammer away at all of your deficits by giving you a bunch of rewards to try to close a learning gap. And that is not how learning happens. That's not how people are motivated. That's not how anything grows. We all learn by building and scaffolding upon what we already know. If we don't already have a structural foundation, nothing new will grow because our job as educators, is truly to develop the brain. And the way the brain works is synapses and neurons are connected. There's gray matter and there's white matter. As educators, we spend so much time focusing on the gray matter, the stuff that we forget about the white matter, which is the connections. The connections are where learning happens. And as educators, we need to spend more of our time focusing on what people can do, what their current abilities are, what their current understandings are, and build upon those to continue to grow. So what is the student's role in all this? Students already have passions. They already have interests. They already have skill sets. The job of the educator is to figure out what those things are 
what their abilities are so that we can then motivate them to use all that to grow into the standards and the expectations. So spend more time figuring out what your kids and staff can do and less time figuring out what their deficits are. Yes, and I'm going to build on that. Boom, there you go. Sometimes sometimes we get this question, and it, and it loops back to something you said earlier about getting back to the why, which is mm-hmm. you were talking about it with you know wh- whatever initiative or whatever we're, we're working on as a school so that teachers understand why are we doing this. The same thing is true with our students, and it's it's not always, like you said, it's not always the student gets to choose what they learn. Um, I had an incredible conversation with a very long time math teacher, now retired math teacher. And I asked what I felt was a loaded question. I did it on purpose. Um, I have my own feelings on this. Um, should every student have to take algebra one? Now I'm not going to ask you to run with that because that's, that's another probably hour long conversation, but it was so interesting. This is somebody who taught AP calculus mid part of his career said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is about student learning and started teaching pre-algebra and, you know, classes with, you know, with predominantly special needs students and so forth. His answer surprised me, but I loved it. So I just want to put this here because I think it, it drives home everything that we're saying. His answer was yes, every kid should take algebra one, not because they're going to need algebra one. They're not going to go out and have to solve, you know, things with the quadratic formula. That's not true. He said, everybody should take algebra one or take whatever, fill in the blank, because it's hard. Sometimes we need to learn to endure and to persevere when things are hard. If we if we take away challenge, which if we just let kids only learn the things they want to learn, are they really being challenged? Are they really being pushed? Sometimes you could say yes, but the point where I'm going with this is Sometimes we need to we need to be doing things in the classroom and those standards exist because we need to stretch people. If 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 the white matter is going to form those connections, things sometimes have to be hard in order for that to happen. So that's my yes and I'm gonna push that back to you. Don't don't run with the algebra one thing because no, no, we, we could go well, forever uh, uh, with that so, one. Yes, go ahead. I'll I'll avoid that that bait, but give you an and. Um, cool. I'll give you an and. There are a lot of ways to make things hard, but it's not just about making things hard. It's about making mm-hmm. things deep, right? Because there, there's a big difference. Yeah. So let me give you this this bad bad analogy, this bad example that does not involve algebra one. So if I were okay. to ask you right now, Darren, to <laughs> there stand will be up, no more math. <laughs> if I were to ask you to stand up and take a step forward, that is something that you could do pretty easily, right? If I asked you to stand on top of a ten foot ladder and take that same step forward. You can still do it, right? But it's probably gonna add a little extra anxiety, a little bit extra fear. If I now tell you to go into an airplane 20,000 feet in the air, back, back on, parachute on, but same thing, you're still just taking a step. Taking a step is easy, right? But the expectations have changed dramatically. The, The environment has changed dramatically. What was easy in one context, in one situation, is now dramatically more difficult in a different context. As educators, oftentimes we think that we're supposed to only focus on, quote unquote, hard, meaning difficult standards and expectations, when sometimes the task can be very simplistic. And if we simply change the environment and we change the context, we can change it dramatically. And I would also challenge you that one of those experiences is going to be way more memorable than the other. Taking a step out of an airplane is something you'll remember for the rest of your life. Standing up and taking a step while you're talking to me on a computer, you'll probably forget by tomorrow. Our job as educators is to create memories. Learning is simply a memory. It's something that the brain has now solidified. Our job is to make memories. So sometimes you can take the relatively simple and make it more complex by simply changing the environment and the construct. And then at the same time, you're making it something that lasts. I love that. Um, I'm trying to come up with another let's and well if not then we can i can talk algebra one and algebra two and personal finance and all that but we can avoid that i know i know (laughs) well and i mean i think i think really where where you're going and uh he he used he used the word hard and and i i really appreciate how he had done that but but what we're talking about is we're talking about rigor rigor that is rigor of quality not hard for the sake of being hard but rather about about challenging and stretching and growing i mean you know our our job is to help. You said our job is about growing the brain. Our job is to help people, uh, help young people 
learn how to think, learn how to, you know, take text or, or math or, or whatever and be able to do something with it to, uh, to make those connections that, that they're going to need later on in life. So let's, uh, man, what a great conversation. I, I want to bounce in a different direction, though. Um, I mean, we could just keep doing this one. I, I love this conversation. Um, and we're going to pick up this conversation, you and me, in October. And so that's yeah. what I want to talk about. Coming coming soon uh, in October, the Teach Better Conference. Um, yeah. For those who, I don't know, uh, maybe just haven't heard for some crazy reason, talk a little bit about uh, this upcoming Teach Better Conference. That I'm fired up for it. Yeah. So first of all, the Teach Better team is, is just an amazing group of, of people that we're both associated with in, in different different regards. So if you're not connected with the Teach Better team, just stop right now, do a quick Google search, type in Teach Better team and find these people because they will they'll they'll change your life in a personal way and a professional way. Uh, the Teach Better team is something that is a group of people that I became associated with a couple of years ago and I work with a lot right now. And this October, Teach Better team is hosting an in-person conference. It's their second in-person conference that the Teach Better team has hosted. First one was back in 2019. I didn't go to that one. I was in Nashville the same time they had a conference working at a different conference. So I didn't get to to be part of that experience. But this one in 2022 is going to be held in Akron, Ohio. And oftentimes when I tell people it's in Akron, Ohio, they look at me like, why would I go Why? to Akron, yeah. Ohio? Mm-hmm. As a guy who spent the bulk of his career in Michigan, I ask myself, why would I go to Ohio? And the reason why even a Michigan guy would go to Ohio is for the Teach Better Conference. It's being held at the National Inventors Hall of Fame, which is this amazing building that is now also a school. So it's this amazing facility, downtown Akron, you know, the home of LeBron. He may or may not be there. I'm not saying, um, but you and I will be there. there <laughs> it's true. a it's yeah. a conference where we're looking at a, a max of about 500 people there. So it's a conference where you're not going to be overwhelmed with the masses, where you're going to feel completely out of sorts and just completely overwhelmed. It's a conference where there's going to be something for everybody. There are more than 100 sessions taking place, some keynotes, some just outstanding networking opportunities, opportunities just to shake hands. Every single per- person that's there will be available for conversations that you'll be able to just get to know on a very real level. So if if you listen to, to this podcast and you hear Darren have these great conversations with people, a lot of the people that you've had in your ears listening to on this podcast will be there in person for you to shake hands with, to hug, and to, to just learn from. So I am super excited, and I hope that we don't have thousands and thousands of people listening that hear me say I'm super excited to go to Ohio, but I am for this. I'm excited to go to Ohio, the Teach Better Conference in October. There you go. You know, I uh, I can tell you um, I've only been to Ohio twice and it's both times it's just been going through the Cincinnati airport. I mean, I've, I've mm. never even left an airport in Ohio. So I guess I'm looking forward to that part of it. But most importantly, yeah, like you, I mean, I'm really fired up uh, for the conference. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm presenting a couple of times uh, yeah. doing a sponsorship with the conference. Um, I'm actually meeting up with uh, one of my partners in crime, Brandon Beck. He and I will fly in and meet together and then, you know, come together in a car. Brandon, like like so many of us, I met Brandon virtually, you know, in, in yeah. platforms like this, you know, uh, Zoom and StreamYard and, and those kinds of things and have yet to actually meet Brandon in person. So uh, that's crazy. Very to much me. looking forward to that. I know. Well, I've never met you in person. I, know, that's crazy to me. <laughs> I know. As many airports as we're both through, you'd think we'd run into each other one of these times. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. always just sitting at the bar with a beer in hand. So just come up know, to every bald guy you gotta... find and say, are you Dave? Are you Dave? And see if, yeah. see if they say, yeah. 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 So folks, when you listen to this, you know, every bald guy in the airport, just, yeah. Are you Dave? Are you Darren? Are you Dave? Are you Darren? <laughs> Actually, if the bald guy's wearing a hat, it's probably Dave. That's you true. know, That's bald true. guy not wearing a hat. That would probably be. That would probably be me. So, 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 Dave, let's do this. Um, as much as we could just keep this conversation rolling, and we probably still will anyway. Let's let's jump to the last question that I ask all of the guests on yeah. leaning into leadership, um, and that's just very simply that you know, right now, all the things that you're doing, all of the the stuff you're reading and listening to, and the services you're you're providing for so many leaders and educators around the country. What what are you doing though to lean into leadership? Mm. I, I love this question. I love the theme 
for this for this podcast, right? For me, leaning into leadership means finally leaning into transparency, vulnerability, and authenticity. It means being willing for the first time in a long time to say, I don't have all of the answers to all the things. And for a long time, I felt like the job of a leader was to vet everything, to say yes or no to everything, to screen everything, to have the answers for everything, to know the research about everything, or to at least act like I did and fake it. Um, what I found out, though, the hard way was that the more answers I pretended to have, the fewer questions came my way. So when I finally got to the point where I was willing to say, I don't have a clue, I don't understand, I don't know, I'm a mess, more people are willing to share their vulnerability, their authenticity, their transparency, and their needs with you. And you're able to grow alongside of people in, in, in this community of wanting to become better. So leaders, I would challenge you to, to lean into that. Lean into authenticity, lean into transparency, lean into facilitation and co-learning, not being the expert of all things. That's that's what I'm working really, really hard on doing. So I appreciate having good people in my life that can slap me around and say, Dave, shut up. That's not right. And I'm able to to walk back and learn more. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, I think. I, I, I really, really appreciate that response. So many leaders, especially earlier in their career, you know, I, I've, I've talked about it as uh, Superman syndrome, you know, when you, know, you, you get that job and, you know, for me that, that first year as a principal, you know, man, I got to do it all. I got to know everything. And the further into your leadership journey you, you go, the more you should start to identify exactly that, that, that really true leadership is about empowering others to solve their own problems or find their solutions or even better what you referred to maybe bring you along on that, that, that journey of discovery to find those answers. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, just cause we don't know the answer doesn't mean we don't want to, we don't want to find out what it is, you know? So it isn't, it isn't just simply, you know, I don't know that answer, go fend for yourself, but rather let's, let's go do this together. Uh, let's yeah. go learn and grow together. Let's, let's take that gray matter and, or that white matter and, and make some of those, some of those important go. connections. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, thanks so much for being on the leaning into leadership podcast, man. I, I, I truly value this conversation. I truly value our friendship and connection. And unless I run into you in an airport suit before then, I can't wait until October to actually see uh, see you in person and be able to have that that whiskey together that we keep talking oh, yeah. about. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Right on. Thanks so much, man. All right, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, folks, when, when I tell you that I can't wait to sit down and have that whiskey with Dave in October, I'm not kidding. I'm really looking forward to that. Every time he and I have a conversation, that seems to come up. So we need to make that happen. And you might be wondering just exactly what am I talking about when I say I can't wait to get together in October with Dave. I'm talking about the Teach Better Conference. If you're not aware of the Teach Better Conference, you need to make yourself aware. Go to teachbetterconference.com. It's put on by the Teach Better team. Um, a crew that I am absolutely honored to be connected to and have gotten to build uh, quite, an, uh, quite a relationship with, uh, with all of them. Um, while not directly affiliated with Teach Better, I feel like I'm kind of an adjunct member of Teach Better. And I will tell you that this year's conference is going to be off the hook. There are going to be so many incredible edgy rock stars there. A whole lot of people speaking, a lot of fun events. It's going to be absolutely incredible. It's being held in Ohio. You don't want to miss this. Go to teachbetterconference.com and make sure you check that out. Road to Awesome is a signature sponsor of this event. We are very much looking forward to our presence there. Um, I have an opportunity to be a featured speaker. Um, just a lot of great things. So make sure you check that out at teachbetterconference.com. Let's go back just a little bit to a couple of things that Dave said that I wanted to highlight. I really appreciated the, the specificity that Dave went into in collective teacher efficacy. Um, he has a very unique take on this. I love how he talked about it's so critical that teachers are deciding what's important, um, that we collectively decide what we value, what our purpose and vision is. Ties very much into a lot of my beliefs around uh, leadership clarity. I love that he talked about the intersection between ability and motivation and how critical that is with adults. It's just as critical with adults as it is with, uh, with the children in our classrooms. So absolutely love that. I thought it was fantastic. And then 
What a fun conversation to be able to have early on in the in this interview with someone else who has stepped out of the public uh, education space and into the private side of education, just like myself. So maybe that was a fun little look inside the brains of of Darren Peppard and Dave Schmidt. Maybe it maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I really had a lot of fun doing it, and uh, I really really appreciate Dave so very much. And that takes me into your pep talk for this week. And I'm going to steal something Dave said and use that for our pep talk. And that was that importance and happiness don't always go hand in hand. You know, through my career, I always had this belief that I needed to chase the next job. I needed to chase the next title. That the happier I was was going to be directly correlated to the title that I held or to the amount of money that I made. Folks, I couldn't have been more wrong. What I have learned over the past maybe four, five, six years is that exactly what Dave said, importance and happiness don't always go hand in hand. You know, we get to go around once. We need to focus on happiness. We really do. Importance is all in the eye of the beholder. And to be honest, I can only control the eye of the beholder of one, and that's me. So I've learned to stop worrying about what other people think and what other people think might be happening for me or to me or anything like that, and instead focus on my own happiness. So I truly appreciated Dave talking about that. I hope you found some value in this podcast today. I know I certainly did. I loved every moment of this conversation with Dave Schmidow. Again, make sure you go check out teachbetterconference.com. And I would love to see you guys at the conference in October. It is going to be an absolute blast. So as always, thank you for spending a little bit of time with me here on the Leading Into Leadership podcast. I appreciate you, and I hope you have a road to awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.